take our Bibles tonight. We're going to turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 5. Pray for me, if you would, tonight as I preach this morning. had a situation where my throat just kind of dried out on me, and I got a tickle, one of those things you just can't avoid sometimes, and, and uh, it seems like that's just going to be the theme of the day today, so bear with me, uh, if you would, and if I get myself too excited and start yelling, just kind of go like this and remind me that I need to tone it down a little bit, okay? Uh, but uh, in Matthew 5, we've been spending some time uh, getting into this Sermon on the Mount, as we call it, as Jesus here is speaking to his disciples. They've come up into a mountain, and he's set himself and has kind of gathered his disciples aside and is really teaching them uh, the what the life of a, of a believer, of a Christian, ought to look like, and there's so much important truth here. And we come to a particular uh, portion of this passage that I think is extremely relevant for the situation we find ourselves in today, and, uh, and even something that uh, many people who claim to be Christians, I think, have forgotten, and uh, just some things we need to be reminded of. And so, uh, as we're here in Matthew chapter 5, we're going to pick it up in verse number 17. And if you're there, I'll invite you to stand as we read the scripture together this evening. Matthew 5, 17. Think not, Jesus says, think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill for verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of the least, or one of these least commandments, and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great. In the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Those are some pretty powerful words, aren't they? Let's have a word of prayer. Father, tonight, give us understanding of your word, I pray. Help us, Lord, to see the truth that you have for us and understand a little bit more about the ministry of Jesus Christ and your expectations for us as we live here in this world today. I ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> Jesus here starts out this section of his message to his disciples addressing an error a misunderstanding about Jesus and what he had come to do. You know, many people during the time of Christ misunderstood what Jesus came to do, didn't they? Uh, even his disciples really kind of had this idea that the primary purpose in his coming was to deal with the political situation in Israel and to restore the nation to its former glory, but that wasn't the primary reason that he came. The religious leaders of the day were confused about Jesus and who he was and what he taught and what it was all about because they thought that somehow he was trying to overrule or override uh, the 
law that God had given through Moses and they saw him as a threat uh, to their traditions and to their understanding. And I believe that even many Christians today, or at least people who claim to be Christians today, misunderstand what exactly Jesus did, especially in regard to the Old Testament law and how it applies to New Testament Christians today. And so in this passage of Scripture and a couple others that we're going to look at, I believe that the Lord gives us a very clear understanding of how we today are to relate to the Old Testament law and how Jesus himself related to the Old Testament law. There are those, of course, today who believe and teach that somehow the Old Testament law, let's just give an example of that, the Ten Commandments. There are people that believe that the Ten Commandments were given as a set of rules that we are to live by, whereby if we follow these rules and we kind of make that a priority in our life to live by these basic principles, that God will see us as good people and accept us into heaven. And there are people uh, that, that will, will even tell you that that's what they believe. If you were to ask people, and I encourage you to do this, uh, ask people, what do you think of the Ten Commandments? What is the purpose? Why did God give these commandments? Oh, they're good laws to live by. This is the standard of righteousness and, and whatever uh, response you might get there. But there are people that believe that by keeping the law, they're actually earning favor with God and and earning a ticket to heaven, if you will. And that's not, that wasn't the purpose for which they were given in the first place, and it's certainly not the way that we earn favor with God or get to heaven. The Bible's very, very clear on that. Over and over and over, the Bible tells us that we are not saved by our righteousness, by our works, that it is not by keeping the law, uh, that righteousness does not come by the law, and we find this over and over and over. And so we understand that that's a false understanding of God's Old Testament law. But the other side of the road, the other, the other ditch on the other side of the road, is that there are people today who would say, well, I'm a New Testament Christian, and I am under grace, therefore, I'm not bound by the Old Testament law, and really, those principles, those truths don't apply to me at all today anyway. And that's also an incorrect understanding of the law as given by God. And so Jesus addresses this error by saying, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. Let me just clear up a misunderstanding. Don't think that the purpose of my coming was to do away with the Old Testament. That's not why Jesus came. There's a pretty well-known, uh, I guess you'd call him a preacher, uh, that's kind of part of the emerging church, Andy Stanley. He's the son of uh, Charles Stanley, who's a pretty well-known Southern Baptist preacher. But Andy Stanley uh, has kind of departed from uh, the ways of his father and the preaching of his father. And one of the things that he said in, in recent years, he made a statement that New Testament Christians need to, quote, unhitch the Old Testament from the New Testament. And his idea was this, the, the God of the Old Testament was kind of a, uh, an authoritative, uh, somewhat cruel God that expected people to live up to a certain standard. 
But we understand that Jesus, when he came, taught us all about love and grace and mercy. And so we're no longer bound by those things. And, and, and we need to kind of forget about those things because they don't apply to us today. How sad that a man who would claim to be a man of God would so sorely misunderstand the God of the Bible. Let me say to you that the God of the Old Testament is the same God of the New Testament. The God of the Old Testament was just as merciful and gracious as the God of the New Testament. You go through and you read of God's... Uh, uh, dealings with his people and over and over and over their wickedness and rejection of him and yet his continual uh, <clears throat> mercy upon them and even blessing upon them and, uh, and you cannot tell me, you cannot convince me that the God of the Old Testament was not merciful and gracious because he absolutely was as he still is today. So what is Jesus saying here? Well he does explain why he came. He said think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Jesus did not come and say, you know those commandments that were back there, those are kind of old and out of date, and I'm just going to tell you, don't worry about those things. Just go on and live and in freedom, live in joy, and, and do whatever seems right and best to you and everything's going to be okay. That is not what Jesus did. Amen. Jesus came, and rather than rejecting the Old Testament law, he did the exact opposite. Jesus perfectly fulfilled the Old Testament law. Jesus did exactly, point by point, all the way through the law, he fulfilled in, to perfection the law that was given by God. And that's good news for you and for me. Because the very fact that he fulfilled that law is what gives us the ability to be saved today. Had Jesus failed to fulfill the law, he would not have been a savior. But he didn't because he is God. And therefore he fulfilled the law. And then that righteous, sinless, perfect God went to the cross and fulfilled the law on our behalf in taking our punishment upon himself. How incredible that is when you consider what Jesus did. So he said, I, I came to fulfill the law. But you know something else that he gave us an understanding of? Is he gave us an understanding of the purpose of the law to begin with. Notice he says in verse number 20, and we're going to get to this in a little bit, but he says, For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. Ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. So he's talking about the scribes and the Pharisees. And if you know anything about the scribes and the Pharisees, these were people who made their life about obeying the law. Now, could they have fulfilled it perfectly? No. There's not one person other than Jesus that has ever perfectly fulfilled the law. All are guilty before God. But these people were a lot better at it than most. I mean, these people were the ones that they lived their life according to uh, not only the laws, but even the traditions of the fathers. And they were very careful not to violate the law. And Jesus is talking about these people. And he says that unless your righteousness exceeds their righteousness, you're not even going to get to heaven. Right. 
Forget being, you know, considered great in the kingdom of heaven. He said, you're not even going to enter into heaven if, if, if your righteousness isn't more than theirs. Why? Well, look at verse 21. He says, ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not kill. Well, that was clearly in the commandments, right? That was the sixth commandment uh, in those ten that God gave. The sixth commandment was, thou shalt not kill. And so that, that's a good law, right? That's a law that all of us ought to live by. And honestly, it's a law that most of us have lived by and can live up to. I... I Anybody here ever killed someone? Don't raise your hand. I don't want to have to turn you in, okay? Uh, but, uh, but most of us can honestly say, I've never killed anyone. Okay, that's a, that's a good commandment. I can live up to that one better than some of the others. But look what Jesus says here. Verse 22, But I say unto you, that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Now, I've actually shown that verse to people and said, uh, who have said to me, well, I've never gotten angry with someone without a cause. I mean, if I, I, I've gotten angry with people, but never without being justified in doing so. No, you have to understand, when he says to be angry with your brother without a cause, he's talking about a just cause. He doesn't mean... Your brother was unkind to you, said something degrading to you, and you got angry with him, but you had the right to do so. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying if, if you have, uh, have actually allowed yourself to get angry at another person, in your heart, it's as though you killed that person. Has someone ever cut you off in traffic and you've gotten angry at them? My hand is held high. We have two honest people in the room, and I'm one of them. All right. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Here's the thing. We've been angry. We have even potentially cursed other people. He says later in the verse, And whosoever shall say to his brother, Reka, shall be in danger of the council. That's a cursing. But whosoever shall say, thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Folks, what is Jesus saying here? Here's what he's saying. The law says, don't commit the act of murder. But the purpose of the law goes beyond the action and looks within the heart. Then we go down a little bit further. Look what he says in verse number 27. Ye, ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. And many of us here can clearly say that. I've never uh, been unfaithful to my spouse. Look what he says in verse 28. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. So again, he's taking the, the law, the commandment, and he's showing it's not just about the action, it's about the heart. It's about what God sees going on inside your mind and in your heart and in, in the very being of who you are. Now, there were many Pharisees who could say, I've never killed anyone. There were many Pharisees who could say, I've never committed adultery. 
There were many Pharisees probably who could have said that I have never bowed down to any false god. There were probably many Pharisees that could say I've never violated the Sabbath day. I've always kept the Sabbath. There were many Pharisees who could say I've never stolen even perhaps. I mean, they never ever took something that wasn't there. But the reality was that all of us, we understand this, folks, that all of us are guilty before God if not in action and works of our hands, in heart before God. We are not right with God. I mean, from the very time of our birth, we have a sin nature. Our youngest son just turned one year old yesterday, Philip. Hard to believe that he's one year old already. And I would tell you that he's one of the sweetest kids. I mean, he's got such a, for the most part, unless he's, you know, got, he's hungry or something like that. For the most part, he's got a real calm demeanor about him and he's an easygoing kid. But let me tell you something. He's innocent in the sense that he doesn't understand right from wrong yet. But I'll tell you this, there is a sin nature in that little boy. You parents understand this. He's selfish. He's selfish and self-willed. You don't have to teach kids to be selfish. You know that? Why? Because it's part of us. It's who we are. It's in our heart. And what Jesus is saying is, listen, the law was given to reveal to you not just the actions that God disapproves of, but to reveal to you that something is not right in your heart. So I'm not come to destroy the law and the prophets. I've come to fulfill them. But you need to understand that the very purpose of the law was really to show you your heart before God and your problem before God. Now, he says in verse 20, For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. These were outwardly, possibly the most righteous people that ever lived. These were people committed to following God's law, and yet Jesus said, they're not good enough. Why? Because their heart wasn't right with God. And by the way, this truth stands for us today. Unless you are more righteous than they, you will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. You say, well, how in the world? I mean, we're, we're all in trouble then, aren't we? Well, there is good news. <laughs> Because the fact that Jesus died in our place to pay for our sins gives us the opportunity to be made righteous in Him. I want you to go with me to the book of Galatians, if you will. Galatians chapter number 2. And I want to show you what Paul said about righteousness and where it comes from. Galatians chapter 2. Verse 21, he says, I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Now this is a very powerful statement because it, it reveals to us two things. First of all, what he's saying, the implication is, if you take the, 
the, the logical order and just reverse it, you'll understand that what he's saying is that Jesus died to give us righteousness. Right? If righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Christ died in vain. The idea is the very purpose of Christ dying was to give us righteousness. And so it can't be by the law. And that's a wonderful truth, right? 2 Corinthians 5, 21, that God the Father made him, Christ, to be, uh, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. It reveals to us that righteousness comes by Jesus Christ. Secondly, though, it reveals to us that righteousness does not come by keeping the law. You cannot become righteous by doing the, 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 by keeping the Ten Commandments, by doing good things, by serving in the church, by being religious. You cannot be righteous by doing those things. That doesn't equal righteousness. The righteousness that God expects of you only comes from God. Amen. It only comes through Jesus Christ. That's the only way that we can be made righteous is by receiving his gift of salvation. So go forward with me just a few pages to the book of Philippians and notice again Paul talking about righteousness and where it comes from. He tells us that this righteousness comes by faith and not by works. All right, so Philippians chapter 3, if I can get there myself. Philippians 3, verse number 8, he says, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ and be found in him, listen to this, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Now, I'm going to say something that should be obvious to all of us, but I want you to think about this. When In the English language, when we use a noun and discuss that in the possessive using the word of, we understand what that means. If I were to say, uh, I am going to uh, the house of the Jimbalvos, okay, I wouldn't say it that way, but we understand that that, that technically is an acceptable way to use it. What we would say today, though, is we would use the possessive form, and we would say, I'm going to the Jimbalvo's house, right? It is that which belongs to them. So when Paul says here, I want to be found in him not having mine own righteousness, but the righteousness which is of God, here's what he's saying. It comes from God, but it is God's righteousness. It's not my righteousness. I don't even possess it. It, it, it. it doesn't belong to me. It doesn't come from me. It's God's righteousness, but it, I can receive it. Not by works, but by faith. I can receive the righteousness of God, which is by faith. 
This is what Jesus came to do, to fulfill the law, to show us that our, our hearts weren't right before God, that we couldn't keep the law, but to give us his righteousness so that we might be acceptable before him. So, you say, well, okay, what's the outcome then? Are we to live according to the Old Testament law? No. And yes. Let me try to explain that a little bit. You and I, who have received Christ's righteousness, no longer are held to or bound by an obligation to fulfill the law of God because it has already been fulfilled on our behalf. And in that sense, we have great freedom and liberty. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I don't have to wake up tomorrow and think, oh boy, the last half of Exodus and all of Leviticus and the first part of Numbers there, all these details, right? Sacrifices and cleansings and observances and feasts and all these different details and, oh man, how do I, how can I possibly please God? We don't please God by keeping the law. Praise the Lord. I, I'm so thankful for the liberty that we have in Christ. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. And I am free from the law. And in God's eyes, when he looks at me, he sees his own righteousness because Christ's righteousness has been applied to me. So in that sense, I do not have to try to live by the tenets of the Old Testament law. However, the problem comes in when Christians say, I have received God's grace, I have received His forgiveness, I have His righteousness, therefore I can do whatever I want to do. And God's still going to be pleased with me because when He looks at me, He's going to see Christ's righteousness anyway. So I can go out and be vile and wicked and God doesn't even care. And friend, I want to tell you, that is not what Jesus said. That's not what he said. Matthew 5, verse number 18. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. Jesus did not erase the law. He fulfilled the law. So how does this apply to us as New Testament believers who have the righteousness of Christ, we have been forgiven, we have been redeemed, we are on our way to heaven. How does this apply to us? Go with me, if you would, to Titus chapter number 2. Titus chapter 2. And I want to look at verses 11 through 15. Verse 11, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. 
Kind of blows the Calvinist argument out of the water, doesn't it? God's grace doesn't only extend to those who are elect. It doesn't only extend to those who are chosen. But the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men. You and I have received that grace if we've been saved. So what does that do? Verse 12, teaching us. Do you know the grace of God teaches us things? Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. What's he saying? Listen, you and I have been saved by the grace of God and that grace teaches us now that we are to deny, deny ungodliness. It doesn't say that we're to embrace it. It doesn't say that we are to go and live like the rest of the world now. But te teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. You know what the difference is between someone who's saved and someone who's lost? A person who's lost but trying to please God by the works of the law, they're trying to live righteously in order to earn favor with God. A person who is saved and trying to live righteously, we're trying to live righteously because we have obtained favor with God. It's, it's totally different. Because we have received His grace, because of all that He's done for us, because of the price that was paid for us, because we weren't redeemed with the things of this world. We were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. And we've been bought with a price. And He's worthy to be glorified in our body and in our spirit because they belong to God. I am no longer my own. Therefore, I ought not try to live like the world. No, I don't have to keep the law in order to make myself right with God. Jesus did that for me. But because Jesus did that for me, I ought to want to do everything in my ability and by His grace and His Spirit to do that which is pleasing in His sight. Then look at verse 13. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. The Christian ought to live godly because he has received God's grace. The Christian ought to live godly because we have a coming Savior. Amen. We are to be living every day looking for our blessed hope. What is the blessed hope that Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. I'm to be living every day with the awareness that Christ is coming again to call me home to be with Him. And that means that I, I want to live my life in such a way that when He comes, that He would find me living for Him and serving Him and, 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 and uh, being a good representation and testimony of who He is. I remember times that I would go and stay with some family for a, a period of time, some uh, cousins and things of that nature when I was a, a kid and a teenager. And I remember uh, throughout the week often uh, getting involved in things that I shouldn't have done. 
and, and uh, getting into trouble in some areas. But I remember about a day before my parents would come to pick me up, thinking, boy, I better straighten some things up. Mom and Dad are coming. And I don't want them to come and catch me doing something I ought not be doing. You know, really the heart of every Christian should be the Lord's coming back and I don't want him to come back and find me doing what would not be pleasing to him. And the reality is, it's not just when he comes back because he's watching you every day anyway. But we ought to live righteously and godly in this world because we've received the grace of God, because we have a coming Savior. Look at verse 14. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity. We ought to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world because we've been delivered from the very sin that separated us from God. We've been set free. Listen, why would... If you were living as a prisoner in a dungeon, shackled, hand and foot, and someone came and set you free, why would you choose to go back and live in that dungeon? No, no sane person would ever do that. You'd leave the dungeon. You'd go find a more suitable place to live. And here's the thing. If you're saved tonight, God has set you free. You're no longer in bondage to sin. You're no longer a slave to iniquity. You're no longer a slave to your own fleshly lusts and the temptations of this world and the temptations of the enemy, the devil. You're free. Why would we go back to the pit that he brought us up out of? We ought to live righteously because we've received the grace of God, because we have a coming Savior, because we've been set free from iniquity. And then listen to this, and to purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. Did you know that Jesus saved you so that you could be an example for others, a testimony of the grace and power of God in your life. You ought to seek to live righteously because the world is watching. And as we looked at last time, God's called us to let our light so shine that the world might see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven because we want to be a witness of the grace of God in our lives. Listen, if someone tries to tell you that you ought to live according to all the tenets of the Old Testament law and keep the Sabbath and, and follow the dietary laws and keep the, the feasts and all those things, here's what you need to tell them. Jesus fulfilled the law on my behalf. I'm free from all that. But if someone else comes along and they say to you, hey, you're under God's grace. You can do whatever you want. Go live freely. You need to tell them, no, I've received His grace. I've been redeemed. Jesus is coming again. He set me free from the bonds of sin. And I have a responsibility to tell the world of my Savior, I'm not going to go and live like the ungodly and wicked of this world. I live for a higher purpose. I have the righteousness of Christ applied to me. And I want to live righteously 
to please him. Look at verse 15. Look what he says. These things, he's speaking to Titus here. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Preach this with boldness, Titus, because these are important truths. But then listen to what he says. Let no man despise thee. Why did he have to say that? Because when you try to tell people that they ought to live righteous, not so that they can earn favor with God, but because they have earned favor with God, people will get upset. A lot of people don't like preaching on holiness, separation, righteous living. But here's what you need to know. Jesus said, think not that I'm come to destroy the law and the prophets. Don't think that Jesus came just to give you a free pass where you would never have to live for him again. Jesus came and took care of your sin problem so that you would be his forever. And tonight, Christian friend, you ought to say, Lord, I thank you that I don't have to go to bed tonight worried about whether or not I've failed something or missed something or broken a law somewhere. and Maybe I've lost favor with God. Maybe I've lost my salvation. I don't have to worry about that because I have Christ's righteousness applied to me. Thank you, Lord. But Father, because of all you've done for me, because of the great price that you paid to redeem me, let me live a life that is pleasing in your sight. Knowing that you didn't come, you didn't send your son to destroy the law and the prophets. You sent your son to fulfill them on my behalf so that I could live a life pleasing to you.